Hello and welcome to a special edition of the More Than A Shot podcast with me, Elizabeth Holker. Well, since recording our original episodes, we have, of course, been hit by the coronavirus pandemic. And while this has been a time with repercussions that could play out over years, it's also given us more time and space to imagine radical and better new ways of working and of being in the world. Well, this reimagining is in the same spirit as the cooperative movements, with new co-ops often being formed in response to crises or inequalities. And so with that in mind, I'm going to be hearing from different co-ops in different parts of the UK to find out how they're using this period to look towards an alternative future. My first guest is Rebecca Birkbeck, Director of Community and Shared Value at the Co-op, who describes her role as chiefly listening to members and working with colleagues to deliver what matters most to them. The immediate impact was the same as for everyone, really, that one minute we were in the office and then the next minute it's kind of we're all working from home. And then, of course, there's the co-op as a whole. So we found ourselves really at the centre of the crisis. If you think when it started, of course, there was the whole rush on food. There were the stats that were starting to come through very quickly about food not getting into food banks because there wasn't any spare food. We've, of course, got our funeral care business and you know everything turned upside down really for that business in terms of how people could say goodbye to their loved ones and working through both what that would look like and how you can support families through that in their grief has been a huge part so of course the thing about being at the co-op is you can't do your roles in isolation because it's about what we're all doing together So I think the first things were things like food banks, really. How could we get product really into food bank where people weren't in a position to do that themselves? So we worked very closely with Fair Share and did that very quickly. We set up a co-op coronavirus members fund and that money will go to food banks. It will go to funeral poverty and it will also go to local communities. Because we were already working with four and a half thousand very local charities across the country, we were able to move very swiftly to make a payout to them. So we paid four and a half million pounds to them, which makes a huge difference because the charity sector has been hit really hard by this. Because if you think about all the usual ways that they would raise money they're just not able to do that so in terms of our community work we ended up putting it in four buckets supporting vulnerable people finding volunteers securing funding and keeping people connected but we also put in place a shopping delivery service for for vulnerable people as well um, using volunteers and that brings me on to finding volunteers that's been really crucial we have a digital platform called cooperate which we were going to roll out slowly this year community by community and actually what we did was roll it out much faster and that meant we could ask customers and members you know who needed help and who would like to give help and we've been able to connect those things 
We didn't put out our TV ads over Easter, our normal food ads. We put out a request to donate to Fair Share. We used that ad time to, to do that. And I think what you're seeing there and what we can do as a cooperative is really bring all the aspects of the business together to do that. And I think that's been a hallmark of our response because I think where say it's been easier for us but I think we've all turned really to the co-optive values and principles as a real kind of compass and a a way of helping support us and and get us through this because they're very clear in a way on the kinds of things that we should be doing. Well while so many sectors of the economy have faced enormous challenges There's been much better news elsewhere, including, I'm delighted to say, with bikes. Well, not only have many of us been taking to cycling for our daily exercise, a number of places around the world are also looking to improve access for bikes and cyclists, having seen the benefits of reduced traffic. My name is Alan Nestor. I'm the managing director of Edinburgh Bicycle Cooperative and uh, we're a retailer of bicycles and bicycle related equipment. What has happened with lockdown has been quite incredible, is that there has been a huge upswing in interest uh, and as a result demand by those people who had turned their back on cycling for such a long time. And that entry point, that casual cyclist, has really embraced cycling in a manner which it hasn't been the case for a long, long time in this country, quite possibly ever in my experience. And one of the biggest barriers that people repeatedly state as being a problem of cycling in the UK is, is the infrastructure and safety. And I think What has been really clear is that as there has been less traffic, trucks, cars, whatever else on the road, people have felt safer taking their bikes out of their sheds, riding short distances, you know, using it as a means of transportation, uh, as a means of exercise. And they're only able to do that because A, it is practical, and B, they are safe or feel safe in doing so. Well, you mentioned there that some of your competitors had struggled, that you guys had to overcome some challenges. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? What have been the challenges since the pandemic's hit? Well, we're in that weird position and I don't say lightly at all, but cycling uh, and bicycle shops were named as essential, which allowed us to continue on trading if we were able to continue on trading. And that was a big if. Uh, I felt that it was right. It was right for us. It was right for uh, our communities and the, the support that we could bring to try as best as we possibly could to open we are blessed in some way with the fact that we have got an engaged workforce who understand the principles of the business, who believe in what they are doing, both in terms of the product, but also in the ethos uh, and the structure of that business, which has made it, I'm saying this advisedly, easier to continue on trading where, where others, competitors have not. Now, again, I don't want to be conceited or trite or anything like that, where there are so many other businesses that have not been able to do that and are facing unbelievable pressures that we are not. That being said, we are having to deal with our own 
pressures where I have to look after the health and safety and well-being of my staff who are engaging in a relatively intimate process when selling a bike. It's really quite up close and personal in normal circumstances. Measuring people and that sort of thing. Absolutely. You know, it's a tactile thing. You sit on a bike, you need to be sized for a bike. All of those things we have to and have had to reappraise while ensuring that our, our staff are not only physically protected, but mentally so, because facing strangers in this environment has been extraordinarily challenging for some people. So the whole psychological, emotional stress reaction has been a real big part in finding what I call the balance and the rhythm of trying to operate on some level in extraordinary times. How has being a cooperative helped you both manage or cope with this problem and also pose its own problems? Being a cooperative, we attract a certain type of person, I think. I was clear in my mind that we weren't going to get much support from anyone else. We had to do it ourselves. We had uh, social distancing before any of the supermarkets had social distancing. Straight off the bat, we closed our changing rooms. We're not doing test rides. We would limit the number of people coming through the door. And that came from the conversations that I was having with individual staff. But we had that buy-in by the majority of staff. And I think that we had that buy-in, we had that understanding, we had that determination because our staff understand that it's their business, that it's part of them. I've spoken to a couple of smaller retailers, owner-manager bike shop businesses. You get that same sense of determination that I I get from our business. But I, I don't think our big venture capitalist-backed competitors will really have that kind of nuance. Of course, for many businesses and co-ops, lockdown has brought immediate problems. Sean Wellens is part of a workers' cooperative in East London. They provide graphic design and printing for a range of community, environmental, arts and education groups. Calvert's is a workers' co-op We're a collective type workers' co-op and the the fundamental purpose of the co-op is to provide decent jobs with good conditions. Probably in about the second to the third week of March, essentially all our contracts were cancelled. We do a lot of uh, design and production for exhibitions, but also for festivals, arts, events. So because public gatherings are essentially banned, all our work was pulled. So on the 1st of April, we actually furloughed more than 80% of our employees. We have just a, a couple of people keeping things ticking over. Essentially, we've, we've shut down, although on the public-facing side, we're open for business because we were always encouraged to keep working if we could, work from home if we could, which the two remaining workers have been doing, coming in to do a small amount of production in-house when it's been required and maintaining a presence in the marketplace and to the world and keeping our social media and communications going. But the bulk of our clients won't start buying again, we don't think, until August, September. We're now planning a long-term strategy that says even this time next year we won't be back at the same level of production as we were in February, March. So it's quite serious. And that's really the problem facing so many co-ops. No matter how robust they may be, 
They operate in the wider economy where organisations that were once key clients are no longer paying for services. Our long-term vision hasn't really changed, but what, what we think will change is that the environment will, will be utterly different uh, in six months' time and a year's time. And that may mean that we're not able to support quite the number of jobs or at the level of remuneration that we've been able to do in the past on the same terms. But I think it has also accelerated our kind of appetite for thinking about how we can work in a more agile way because a number of people in the co-op actually do have other jobs. <laughs> One of our members is furloughed, is currently working in a ventilator factory. You know, a couple of our uh, members are also drivers. So, you know, this kind of shift towards a kind of portfolio of different things that people do to keep, keep body and soul together will probably be accelerated. You know, we're pulling all the strings we can in terms of trying to negotiate on our costs, particularly premises, because we rent our premises. We had a reasonable amount of cash reserves at the beginning of the crisis, but they will go very quickly because we have fixed costs that we have to keep paying and uh, eventually the money would just run out. You know, we keep talking until we, we find a way forward and that's always been the way with this business. We've traded through three recessions in my time here. Okay, this isn't a conventional recession. I think it's a an economic reset and it, it will be a reset for us as well. A worst case scenario is that we have to we have to go back to a startup situation or some people have to start again. You know, we're going to butch it out, no doubt about it. We're going to borrow cash at the lowest possible interest rates we can and see where we go. You know, it's all to fight for, I think. And in another sector and another part of the country, things have been equally difficult. When this first happened, I was pretty devastated. I probably spent a couple of days crying because I'd worked, and my team, all of us had worked really hard to develop this. Kay Johnson set up The Larder, a sustainable food organisation that educates people about their diet. Last year, they opened up a cafe in Preston City Centre, which of course had to close its doors once the lockdown came into force. They've shown their resourcefulness by shifting their focus to providing hot meals for people in the community, but only after some real soul-searching. We only opened in February 2019, so it was still very early days for us. And I couldn't see then how we were going to be able to continue as a business. So part of the reason for deciding to do cook meal provision and also the education that we're providing at the moment, it was to stop us getting depressed and feeling sorry for ourselves because we really were yeah, very worried about the future. When we realised that, you know, we were going to have to close and I put the word out to all our partners across Preston and we held a meeting on the 16th of March and looked at putting a strategy together. So I knew we had to do something at that meeting. I had people like Age Concern, the local housing association, councillors from Preston City Council, uh, Preston Community Transport, because they were able to deliver the meals. So it was a very collective approach. Okay. And in terms of the way you work, how has that been a challenge to kind of overcome these hurdles and deal with this crisis and also, you know, hold fast to those cooperative values and the way you were working before? I think being a cooperative has benefited us in this situation. Just because we're used to working collaboratively, everybody just 
changed their roles in a way that they took responsibility rather than me being a manager and telling them what to do. And that's because you already had this environment and this culture where each person was empowered and had responsibility. Yes, absolutely. And tell us about the volunteers then. Lots of people with time on their hands all of a sudden, you know, people who can't get out to work normally like they would have done. Has it levelled out, you know, some of the negative impacts of covid or yeah uh, and and also are people more likely to volunteer for a cooperative and you know for an organization like you guys i'm not sure whether they're more likely but i was blown away by the response so we decided to put a post out on the saturday night and now i don't know if people had had a glass of wine or two but the next morning on sunday morning we had 30 offers of volunteers of really great volunteers who who came on board straight away offering all all sorts of um, of help wow and that's just people responding to a, a social media post yeah one facebook post what kinds of people were they were they people that you knew were they are they friends of the organization are they people who used it already or just complete you know newcomers a lot of people who were seeing that they were going to be furloughed and that they were going to have time on their hands a few people that were retired people that felt like they just wanted to do something. This crisis has given people an opportunity to express generosity. I've I've really seen that. And what about going forwards? I mean, how has this crisis kind of changed the way that you might work in the future, even when this is all over and we return to whatever normality we return to? It's made me realise how resilient we all are. It's put me in touch with other people who I hope will will stay with us some of the volunteers that we have now and um, because they've got fantastic skills we've got an amazing chef who came forward and we've made a real success of being able to get cooked nutritious meals out to people I want to sort of move on to the next stage of that at some point but part of that will continue so we've identified people out in the community who will probably need that for a very long time. The other thing that's happened is it's really strengthened our relationships that we have with other organisations. So we're working brilliantly well with organisations like Age Concern, Preston Minster. The sort of collaboration has been the kind of success to this. We have all said to each other, we are going to continue this, whatever it is, whatever it looks like. We don't know what it's going to look like. I don't know if the cafe will survive or what what will survive, but whatever does survive, there's definitely ways that we can collaborate together in the future. And so they're completely new relationships. Yeah, it's kind of like I'm seeing magic happen almost. It's like, it's really amazing what is being created. Well, one of the most obvious things to come out of this period of lockdown is the importance of housing and also of community, whether that's in a suburban street, rural village or in a city apartment block. We're 20 households. We have a common house. We all have allotments. We have um, a landscape that we look after together. Stefan Scrimshire is a member and resident of Lilac, which stands for Low Impact Living Affordable Community. As a co-op, as a housing co-op, you know, we're really reliant on meeting together, meeting up. The whole project is designed to maximise social interaction. Um, That's the point of co-housing. So pre-COVID-19, sharing space and sharing our land is a fundamental part of of living together. Okay. So, I mean, obviously COVID will have changed the community aspects of things, I imagine. Can you explain a little bit more about 
how you've had to adapt. Yeah, so when lockdown first occurred, we obviously needed to make decisions on how how we go about sharing our space. Our project is specifically set up to make social distancing really difficult, both physically and in terms of really depending on each other and and getting used to sharing space. Walking out of our front door is a piece of shared land, which is also our property. So it really falls outside of anything that the government was telling us about stay at home. What is our home? My home is part of another's home, but we're not the same household. Um, Big impact on our use of the common house, which has an office, uh, meeting rooms, a place where we watch films together, kitchen. So we had to make decisions on, well, do we just close that? Are we allowed to, to share it? What do we do? And a really big impact is uh, for the kids. We fairly quickly came up with ideas such as uh, using a rotor for kids to use. So we have a central play area for the kids. It's got a huge trampoline. It's a free space. We set up a board that we put outside online and, and a physical board just to keep tabs on who was well, who needed help. Was anybody self-isolating with COVID symptoms? So quite able to react quite quickly because we're a, a tight and smallish community. Was that a challenge, you know, with a lots of different opinions on how things should be done? You know, some people perhaps more cautious than others or more worried or anxious than others? Or I think we feel it because we've grown up so much together. So yeah, a- absolutely. Really difficult conversations. And, you know, the move to online, these Zoom conversations, I think some people expected them to suddenly reproduce what we were getting from physical meetings that we're used to. And what what I certainly noticed is that it made me realise how good we were at looking after each other um, physically, you know, giving each other a hug and looking out for each other if, if a meeting's not going well, you know. And suddenly we're isolated. We're having to make these difficult decisions and we're in our own spaces. So huge challenges. I think this has proved that great things can happen by people working remotely. Yes, we are putting courses online as well. Like Just to give you a quick example, we ran a Kids in the Kitchen programme. That's our holiday hunger programme. Normally that's run face to face. And um, I put it online and then... Um, we were able to run that with 36 families. And there's no way that we could have run that over Easter with that many people. We're planning to do that now with 120 families over the summer holidays. So in some ways, there's a lot of work that can be done remotely. However, I feel that our space was really important to people. We were able to provide a space where sometimes it was people's only opportunity to actually socially interact. And I would like to believe that we could, even if it's not the space that we have, that we have a space for people to physically meet. So working remotely online, you can almost reach more people, but perhaps not as as deeply or as meaningfully. Or Yeah, I love Thursdays because Thursdays is a knitting day. I've got a lady that runs a group. She started just coming on her own knitting and then more and more people come. And now half of the cafe is taken up on a Thursday morning with people knitting and it's just lovely it just warms my heart when I walk past the cafe and it's really important to them so I'd feel sad if I wasn't able to give them that back. Stefan has it strengthened your belief in what you were originally kind of set up to do? It really has part of our mission or our mandate is to actually support other groups who are trying to set up similar sustainable co-housing projects 
And everything about what's going on in the country right now makes me believe that it's it's necessary more now more than ever. You know, we're moving into a recession. The housing crisis is is only going to widen inequalities. So projects that support people, people powered housing. Uh, are going to be more necessary than ever. You know, I, I don't think the cooperative movement should be going out and telling people what to do at all. What we do have to do is to keep our eyes and ears open, absolutely bat-like for situations where businesses are collapsing or closing and there is evidence that workers are thinking about what their next move is collectively um, if they think there's some, you know, some form of socially useful production of goods and services they can do and they're looking for advice and support to do it. We need to be thinking about whether we as, co- as the co-op movement have some tools and techniques that we could humbly offer them that they may be able to use. Obviously the crisis is throwing people back on their own resources and to ways of working together with their neighbours and their colleagues in a way that they probably haven't had to do. And that's, you know, on the face of it, would suggest that cooperation and collaboration is a way forward. And also, I think, you know, we may be looking at a situation like Greece in 2012 or Argentina in 2008, where numerous businesses closed and workers were left going, well, actually, there's there's still something of value here that we need to keep producing a product or a service and we're just going to take it over. And that would obviously be fertile ground for people organising for worker cooperatives. That's a possibility. I'm not sure if that's the way it's going to go. It could go the other way. In my view, there won't be any kind of natural or inevitable move towards a more cooperative order. Um, It would have to be fought for. Some really positive and concrete initiatives have been set up during the pandemic making the most of the skills and experiences that co-ops like the Edinburgh Bicycle Cooperative have to offer. From the outset of lockdown, we were really aware that cycling was a critical means of transport for all workers and particularly key workers. So we wanted to do our bit in trying to help them keep on the road. And as a result, we offered free puncture repair and inner tubes to NHS workers and all other blue lights, plus 50% off servicing. And that's been a remarkable success, as a lot of our customers already are in the care profession. So we're really happy to have done our bit. You know, in the region of 60, 70 people have availed of the service offer and 55 people have availed of the puncture offer. So these are small numbers relatively, but um, very important for those people who were stuck and, and looking for our support. With so much going on right now, Alan's hardly had the chance to imagine what the future might hold. Oh, gosh. You know, when I have a nanosecond, I kind of try scratch my head as to what does the future look like? And I'm talking about next week. (laughs) Because I I suppose just broadly, I hope, I really hope on hope that the people, he, everybody, does not forget, first of all that the experience that they have had over the last 10 weeks has opened their eyes or reopened their eyes to how to interact with bikes and their own city, their own place of where they, they, they live. From the co-op perspective, uh, we've got to be honest with ourselves and say, well, what did we do well and what did we do not so well? As a co-op, we've been robust, resilient and probably flexible enough to be able to react and react in the positive, because it is all for one, really, at the end of the day. 
And the key to moving forwards for Sean is recognising the value of cooperation and not just within the UK. One thing that is very clear from this crisis is that our system is globally interconnected and our systems of production are linked by extraordinary chains of cooperation and collaboration across national and continental borders. So I think that we as, as a cooperative movement have to be strengthening conversations and collaborations and I think that the cooperative movement will be and will need to be more than just lip service to internationalism. This has to move more centrally towards our practice and what we're doing together. Well, this period of time is already proving to be one of the most extraordinary in living memory in so many ways. And remaining open to the possibilities of the future can be hard with so much bad news around. But we know from history that from such hard times, great ideas and ways of doing things can emerge. And the cooperative movement is well-placed to play its part. Hopefully, hopefully, this special episode of More Than A Shop has helped you think about the future, locally, nationally and globally, and how that could look. I would say it's a massive opportunity to move towards cooperation because we always talk about now is our time, we're a better way of doing business and now we're seeing it happen on the ground all around us. Our member pioneer programme, we're actually in a recruitment phase at the moment and we're recruiting some fantastic people because they've seen it in, in operation, they go okay, I want to really do that job and, and I really want to make a difference. And, and of course, that has to be fantastic for, um, for cooperation and for the co-op movement. More Than A Shop is a collaboration between Cooperatives UK, the Co-op, Co-op News, Cooperative College and the Cooperative Heritage Trust. The series is presented by me, Elizabeth Holker, and it's produced by Jeff Bird on behalf of Spark Lab Productions. If you want to hear about other radical suggestions, please do listen to our other podcast episodes that offer alternative solutions across a whole range of different areas at morethanashop.coop. Thanks for listening. <laughs>